Hey there, thanks for listening in. This is episode 14 of the science fiction novel Engines Under Ursus, written and narrated by Martin Brady. This week's episode is called Spiritus Mundi and is inspired in part by the W.B. Yeats poem titled The Second Coming. Podsafe music is provided by Seraphic Panoply, performing tribesmen. Additionally, Snickative performs Turn Around and Look to wrap up the show. Okay, let's get started. Previously on Engines Under Ursus. Fowler looked out of the floater's window at the giant corporate buildings, seeing the distant spire of the CityNet Tower. Take me to CityNet, said Fowler, feeling quite despair. He reached down and picked up the photograph, replacing it in his wallet, realising it was a part of his life he was not yet willing to relinquish. Too much had already slipped away. Kay was in the labs when Fowler arrived back. He poured himself a coffee, trying to keep himself alert. Kay was still sore by the way he had treated her, and just glanced up at him, then went back to her work, examining samples of the Antex and systems, trying to crack their code. Fowler sat down in a seat and rubbed his eyes. "'I thought you'd run out on us,' said Kay, looking into her microscope. Fowler ignored her comment. "'Have you made any progress with the Antex?' he asked. Kay sat up and turned around, determined not to let Fowler off the hook. "'Where were you?' Fowler shrugged his shoulders. "'Around.' Kay shook her head and stood up. "'I helped you, Fowler. I think it's only fair that you helped me, too.' Fowler frowned. "'What do you mean?' "'I took heat for you today. Delcas grilled me, asking me what you'd found out.' Fowler grimaced. What did you tell him? I told him the truth. Fowler looked at Kay coldly. Which version of the truth is that? Kay's cheeks flushed red with anger, tired of his patronizing tones. Who the hell do you think you are talking to me like that? I've had a lousy day all because of you. You want to know the truth? Fowler sipped his coffee. Go on. Be my guest. Educate me. You're a self-centered, egotistical fool. The truth is, I couldn't care less whether you go back to the tank or not. You think you're smarter than everyone else. If you were so smart in the first place, you wouldn't have ended up in the tank, would you? The fellow lay back against the wall, unconcerned. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me why you went to Ursus on your own. Did Delcast send you to spy on me? No. The fellow looked on. Then why, Kay? Because... Because I was Walt's friend, and I wanted to know what happened to him. I, ch- I checked out your software. It couldn't have done what happened to him. Nobody in here tells me anything. Including you, and you only just got here. Fowler met Kay's sad, confused eyes, and he knew he'd been rough on her. <sighs> all right, all right, I'll... Level with you. Walt was murdered. I found traces of dribazine residue on his skin, which is a byproduct of a chemical that caused his death. Delcas and Sandra already know this. I just want you to know he was my friend too. Kay looked shell shocked by the revelation, 
and slowly sat down. Jesus, muttered Kay. The intercom in the labs buzzed and Fowler answered it. Sandra's tense face appeared on the other side. Where the hell were you? Fowler straightened up, making some inquiries about the residue. Sandra relaxed slightly, but still seemed tense. I read your report on Ursus. Meet me in my office in ten minutes. Don't be late. Sandra clicked off. Fowler raised his eyes and swallowed the coffee quickly. Sandra was standing in her office when Fowler came in. Fowler knew Sandra never normally stood in her office when she had visitors. She preferred to sit behind her large desk to emphasize her authority. For a brief moment, Fowler thought that Sandra looked vulnerable, but realized that he had made a mistake in assessing her mental state. She was more like a cornered animal, ready to strike out at anyone who came near. Fowler took the crystal he had retrieved from Ursus and dropped it onto her officious tabletop. It slid gently, coming to a stop by the hologram of her father's head. That's what Mesler died for? Sandra seemed unimpressed. I think it was more a case of death by panic. He thought I was going to leave him behind. Fowler paused. He lost his head. And you didn't, Sandra grimaced. I always keep my promises, Sandra. He was used to people not keeping theirs. Sandra looked unimpressed by Fowler's moral stance. In order to keep your promises, you have to deliver on them. I can't keep Delcas quiet forever. He says you've done nothing about the Antec problem since you were released, and he's right. He's even saying that you were responsible for Messler's death. He's lobbying the board to get you sent back to the tank. Then we can get someone else in who knows what they're doing. A fellow understood Sandra's tactic and retaliated. So it's true what everyone's saying then. Sandra perked up. What's that? Delcas is giving the orders now. I thought you were in charge. Times really do change. Sandra's face hardened. I will always run this company, Fowler, and don't you forget it. Truth is, Sandra, you're out of touch, sitting up here in your ivory tower. All you see is the big picture, margins, stock values, and managing the board members. You haven't got a clue what's really going on in the ground, have you? Sandra walked over to her desk and looked at Fowler. There's a line between us, Fowler. Just remember... You can step over it. Fowler finally lost his temper with Sandra. Just remember, all you've left is Delcas. And let's be honest, he wants your job, so he'll be glad to see me fail, which means you fail. Sandra sat down in her seat. This is getting us nowhere. Maybe not for you, replied Fowler. Is this your idea of delivering on your promise? said Sandra. Maybe I should just send you back to the tank. Maybe Delcas was right. You are all washed up. The fellow walked over to Sandra's desk and picked up the crystal, then showed it to her. Do you know what this is? Sandra said nothing, her eyes betraying her ignorance. It's not a crystal. It's pure Antec. What we're up against is a billion years of Antec evolution. They want to survive just like you, Sandra. They're not going to just go away 
because you want them to. They need to be understood, and that's going to take time. You can't burn them or poison them. They're even resistant to nuclear attack, for Christ's sakes. These things can live on barren worlds for millions of years. Sandra looked with contempt at the Antec fragment, focusing on the more pertinent facts. You said in your report that you found Ixian mining equipment. The father nodded and pocketed the fragment. How's your relationship with Chairman Sop lately? Sandra looked up. You worry about the Antex and I'll worry about Chairman Soth. I want you to find out if there are any links between that fragment and the problem we're having in systems. Now get out! The feller slept uneasily that night in his room. He dreamt he was back on Ursus again, sitting by the shoreline, ringed with fiery torches. The Bazon ritual continued as some aliens swam through the waters, riding on the backs of creatures that looked to Fowler like sea monsters. They carried nets on either side as they corralled what seemed like fish to Fowler. They are not monsters, said Yaltak, reading Fowler's thoughts. These are the creatures which share this world with us, as you do with the Antaks. We strive to live in harmony with all living things, including you. Confused, a feller looked at Yaltak. What the hell is this? Your world is dead. Are you trying to take over my mind, Yaltak? If you're not, then let me rest, goddammit. I've had a lousy day, and I've a ton of work to do tomorrow. Do not be angry with me, Fowler. We will let you rest. We mean you no harm. We are part of the Antec colony, which is within you now. Our path has been chosen, but yours has not been yet. We were promised that you would come, but first we would like to understand you. It is our way. Okay, sighed Fowler. Here I am, but make it short. Tell us about freedom, Fowler, said Yaltak. Fowler sighed. Could you be more specific? Our people have travelled the stars, began Yaltak, but found none that have matched the beauty of Ursus. This would be our final resting place. Now we hope that it will become our place of freedom. It is written so. We have waited a long time for one like you to arrive. Together they joined a queue of Bazons, and Fowler stood in line with the Altak. He eventually stood beside a barrel of dark liquid with the Altak. Now what? asked Fowler. The Altak turned to Fowler. Please, do not move. The Altak put one of his many limbs into the liquid and began to vibrate it covering Fowler from head to toe in the liquid. Better, said Yaltak. I'm glad you think so, said Fowler, wiping the liquid out of his eyes and spinning some from his lips. As the liquid began to dry, Fowler began to feel his skin tingle and, and he felt a little light-headed. Now, collect these, guided Yaltak, as many as you can hold. Fowler stood in front of a large pile of what looked like wrapped bricks of dried seaweed. Fowler raised his eyes. Okay, replied Fowler, lightheaded. 
Now what? It's time to make your offering, said Yalthak. They walked to a giant mound of seaweed blocks. Now throw as high as you can to get to the top of the mound. Okay, said Fowler. He felt like laughing in a slightly drunk way. He threw the first one right over at the top of the mound, and it hit another bason on the head. Oops, sorry, said Fowler. Yaltak helped Fowler put the remaining seaweed bricks on the mound. All around the beachfront, other mounds were being built up in the same fashion by other groups of basons. Please sit, said Yaltak. Now we lie back and give thanks. Okie dokie, said Fowler. He felt himself falling back and ended up looking up at the two crested moons above Ursus. His eyes swam a little in the beautiful configuration that the moons had formed. We have been celebrating this festival for thousands of years. This will be our last one. I would like you to share this memory with us now, Fowler. You are our Spiritus Mundi. Fowler looked sideways at the Altac. You're reading my mind, aren't you? said Fowler. Yes, you are the spirit of this world, admitted Yaltak. Our species merged with the Enteks before our world died, and now those Enteks have merged with you. You are our second coming, Fowler. The Enteks told us you would come. They were the first. May I ask you a question? Shoot, said Fowler. Have you stopped caring about your own kind? Fowler thought about it for a moment. I honestly don't know. I, I haven't given it much thought, replied Fowler. Drum sounds rolled around the beachfront. Fowler sat up and watched as the torches were brought to the many seaweed bonfires, and each was lit. The seaweed caught fire rapidly and burned with a greenish-red hue, which Fowler had never seen before. Smoke wafted around the group of Bazons, who sat fifty deep around their bonfire. He stared into the flames and let the heat warm his face, sobering up a little. As the flames died down to four members, the group stood up to dance and Fowler joined them. Instruments were brought into the inner circle and they started to play strange rhythms to which the group danced in unison too. Fowler did his best to join in, jutting his chin and head forward to the tribal music, finding it strangely entertaining. Then Yaltak stood forward and sang his song, which was accompanied by other instruments. He started it by letting out a deep roar from the back of his long neck, and everyone danced to the tribal song that followed.
As soon as it had started, it was over, and they broke up, joining the other Bazon groups for the feasting. Fanner looked around, but could not see Yaltak anymore. He dwelled on Yaltak's words, wondering what their significance was. Was it important if he cared about others of his kind? What significance had that to Yaltak, he wondered. He dipped his feet into the cool water, pondering the question. The water was cold but refreshing. Hell of an illusion, he thought to himself, and looked upwards at the two moons again, but saw something move past them in the sky. The object was some kind of bird, circling in a decreasing gyre, and it was slowly coming down to where he was. What the hell is that? wondered Fowler. He looked around him, but all the Bazons had gone to feast inland. All that was left were embers from the fires. He began to feel a little nervous as the winged creature began to descend and take shape. It was no bird, but some kind of a beast. The giant wings of the beast with the head of a human and the body of a lion landed on the beachfront. The sea began to turn to a blood-dimmed red. As it walked, the sand turned to glass. Fowler realised the antics were tapping into his memories. The scene was very familiar to him, but he wondered why they had picked this one. The beast was a bronze colour, and had the face of a human. It seemed to morph from one face to another. Fowler drew back from the giant creature, but tripped and fell backwards. The beast jumped forward until its face almost met that of Fowler. "'What do you want?' asked Fowler. The first face appeared, and it was Dalkaz. He looked at Fowler with contempt and spoke. "'You're not out of the tank yet.' The face then morphed again, and it was the face of Chairman Soth. "'The war with the humans will never be over, my people.' Until they submit. The chairman raised his hand and was greeted by Ixian roars. Why these people? wondered Fowler. A face Fowler had almost forgotten appeared on the face of the beast. It was Franz Werner, the Sandra's deceased father. Tom, I just got your response. I, I would like you to reconsider our offer. I know CityNet is a small company... But I think you'd be making a mistake not to accept. Let me tell you my vision for the company. I believe the war was a mistake, and I think we can show both humanity and Nixian alike that it is possible to live and work together profitably in a peaceful manner. I think many people confuse power with greatness when true power is really about having a positive vision for the future and making it real. On Erstal, we can all become great, as Citynet does. We can show all the species what gracious beings we are, not just the Ixians. Citynet can become a beacon of hope in this sector. Tom, this is more than a job where you clock in and clock out. I understand your reluctance, but please reconsider. It is an experiment where I think we can show everyone, even our own, the path forward. The position is still open. Please call me. Fowler recalled how the message had swayed him to take the position in their fledgling cyberspace division. 
there was something about France that had made him special and City Net in the process. Fowler realised the antics were digging deeper into his memories, but Tom shouted out, Get out of my head! You've no right! Another face appeared in front of him, to a set of memories he had tried to repress over the years. It was the face of a woman he had all but forgotten. Raina appeared in front of him. They were inside a dome, and he was sitting down, catching his breath. He could taste the blood in his mouth. You're ready, Tom. You've passed. She smiled. Now you can be my shield. She offered him her hand for the first time. Fowler remembered the fateful moment and turned away, finding it too painful. His mind was flooded with the past. During the war, he realized that it was like looking at another version of himself. He realized he had changed, and then recalled Yaltak's words asking if he no longer cared about his own kind. However, there was something deeper to this place, with the beach and the beast. He knew what he was really being asked. Did he have the same passionate intensity as those who were now bent on destruction and power? Did he care enough about the positive outcome for everyone, not just humanity, as he once had as a younger man? He looked back into Raina's face, and remembered how idealistic he had been back then. I'm sorry, was all Fowler could say to Raina. Her face vanished. The beast swiped out at Fowler, catching him on the arm, tearing his flesh, and the dream was over. Fowler sat up in his bed, in the dim light of the city net skyscraper, his breath coming in short, heavy pants. Again, the dream had been unusually vivid. He focused on the company room, trying to calm himself, wiping the sweat from his face. He climbed out of the bed and walked into the bathroom, pouring himself a glass of water to clear his thirst. He rubbed his arm where the imaginary creature had harmed him. Fowler felt a sharp pain in his arm and examined the spot. On closer examination, he saw a growing red mark emerging on his arm. Curiously, Fowler looked at his arm in the mirror. The red dots were forming letters. He looked closely at the two words forming on his skin and shook his head with disbelief, almost hearing Yaltak's voice as he read them. Help us. Turn around and look now, turn around and look, turn around your love is gone. Turn around and look now, turn around and look, turn around your love's gone. You have got yourself into a very sticky predicament. And how long have you known that nothing was really worth it? When you look your whole life for someone right and when they're wrong. That's when you played along. Do you even love yourself? It's kind of 
a catch-22. Love is a drug that many, many, many people abuse. You can turn around and look now, turn around and look, turn around your love is gone. You turn around and look now, turn around and look, turn around your love is gone. Turn around and look now, turn around and look, turn around your love is gone. Turn around and look now, turn around and look, turn around your love is gone.